Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, the legend of Korra. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. It is week 27 and we are here talking about the legend of Korra, book two, Spirits, episodes five and six, The Peacekeepers and uh, The Sting, or Peacekeepers and The Sting. And uh, maybe we'll just actually talk about Shit's Creek because spoiler alert guys <laughs> these episodes are not very good and not very much happens and I'm like I'm up to here with Cora I remember enjoying this season uh but you know like Noel it's been a while and so I'm I'm hoping that with our next two-parter which is the next the episodes for tomorrow that's when it'll kick into the stuff that I remember and I remember liking because man these are these are rough um it does take a while to get going yeah. yeah, I promise parts of it does get better. It does. It does. But he's like they're trying to they're trying to make me not like Bolin. And as we said last time, he, we're just holding on. We're holding on to Pabu for for dear life right now as we watch these episodes. I was half tempted to text you guys and be like, "Should we just watch two more so we have things to talk about?" Um, but I didn't because we all have things, you know, we we have to be respectful of people's time. And already watching two episodes a night is a lot. So, Elson, I'm going to throw it to you and see, are you in the same place as me? Or are you feeling more generous than I am with what has been a utterly disappointing season so far? Uh, Marcus says, I was on my phone quite a bit these episodes, which isn't a good sign. And yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. Because, like, like the high point of these episodes is, oh, great, finally, Cora and Mako broke up. Good. We can stop pretending this was a good idea. Um, yeah. Well, like I couldn't even enjoy Aubrey Plaza that much because she didn't get enough to do. No, um, I, you know, I found these to be here. Let me put it this way. The thing I found most entertaining about these episodes was the bad animation, um, which at a certain point I just began going like, oh, that person doesn't have a face. That person doesn't have a face. That person doesn't have a face because that was the most interesting thing that was happening. Um and then when when we landed, when like our big final moment was, who's Avatar Korra? I was like, no, 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 no. When all I have is, wow, isn't Bolin fun? And they decide to throw Bolin into the like Adrian Brody school of non-consensual kissing. Mm-hmm. Like I just... Oh, this is where I wish that all of you who are listening were in the Zoom because only Marcus and Kate and Noel can see my face. Um, it it was very frustrating. I, and the thing that was the most frustrating, I think, and I want to know um, how the two of you feel about this, because maybe this is actually where we're headed and and I'm just jumping the gun, but I fear not. Um, it kept running into like, wow, that could be a really interesting idea for a character. Why don't we explore this? And then running in the opposite direction or like a worse direction. So like Bolin is suddenly a, a mover star, um, but it's all propaganda. Mm-hmm. Like he's a star in prop in war mongering propaganda what does that mean i don't know let's just have him kiss this redhead we haven't given a personality to um her name is literally ginger because we couldn't be bothered or like wow all asami has left is this business and it's failing what should she do i know she should kiss her ex-boyfriend and then get her business back like i just every time something almost interesting happened they just 
turned tail and ran in the other direction. And it was so frustrating that, again, every time I was like, missing face, missing face, missing face, all of a sudden my interest was piqued. <laughs> and really, there were a lot of times, like, Cor- that whole big battle sequence with Korra at the end of um, the first of these two episodes, Peacekeepers, she had no face the whole time. Every time she was on top of her water tornado, no face. <sighs> Co took it. The the face stealing spear just took it. You know that would be more interesting. Go. Um, so I don't like these episodes either. Um, That's because they're not good. They're not good. <laughs> um, and I think that one of the things is, is that th- they're too segregated from like whatever Unalak's plotting like we need to we didn't come up with like a strong enough concept for what Unalak's doing that we can really devote like two more episodes worth of development to it and I while I like this idea of Varric's participating in war profiteering basically um to gin up his business um because all of it like this entire two-part is basically just you know what I own a movie studio. I own a shipping company. I should buy a weapons company for absolutely bottom dollar prices. What's the best way to do that? And just building on that as like a two-part episode, but then very quickly being like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it doesn't register, I think, as like as heavy as it should, given the history of war profiteering and businesses taking advantage of war opportunities to make massive amounts of money Um, because the show isn't equipped to really grapple with that as a concept, but it wants to dabble in it by having him make the propagandistic movers, by having him sabotage future industry so that he can buy it out from basically buy it out from underneath Asami. Um, And as much as I enjoy the animation of the reveal, because suddenly Varric is Tano and just has like perfect hair and is like, yes, yes, Mako, please share what you've just learned. Um, but it just doesn't click into place and doesn't feel of a piece of some of like the other stuff that's happening with Unalak. Um, and it just it doesn't work. So as much as I really want it to, and as much as I'm really interested in the world building of a president who doesn't see a reason to get involved in a what could very easily become a global conflict. And the major industrial player that we have now that Future Industries is has been treading water, ramping up for like a major war and insti- really like driving home instigating one. Um, it just it doesn't feel as dark or as grim or as urgent as anything that they did in season one, which is ridiculous considering that there's a war about to happen. Um, So it's just, it all ends up being really flat. And then you pile in the fact that Varric's supposed to be goofy, but he's also incredibly shrewd. And reconciling that is, for me, really difficult with how Higgins is performing it, how it's written. And all of this kind of stuff. Um, he's Disney, Marcus says. And yeah, yeah, he's not not Disney. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so this episode treats its viewers the way that you would expect Avatar The Last Airbender to treat its viewers, its intended audience, if they didn't, if they were a normal 
like, we're going to be for kids kind of show. It does not treat its audience with anywhere near the respect that Avatar does. And Avatar is aiming for an eight to plus, like eight plus audience. Whereas this show is aiming based on the first season for like a, at least like, you know, 15 plus. Right. And it, you know, this episode, what we get with peacekeepers that could be in the pale moonlight from DS nine. And instead we get, but I want to trick them into a war. Why won't they let me trick them into a war? It's ridiculous. The like, just, I, the, the animation is bad. The plotting is bad. But I just kept watching it and railing against the writing because it's so bad. It's it's just there's nothing relatable. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing nuanced there's nothing reflective of what we know about these characters and how they are behaving we've got um cora who is of course very concerned about <clears throat> very concerned about her family and the southern Water tribe but with absolutely no perspective uh of, of what's happening and without any sense of having learned from her previous massive you know, battles and interactions with politics. You'd think she would have learned something from, you know, dealing with everything in the first season, but apparently not. You've got Lynn, who is back and apparently is just there to be like, hey, you're a rookie. Shut up. You've got Mako, who is apparently just there to be like, this seems unusual. And not actually communicate with people and not, you know, like... And then you've got Bolin, who is there to be funny, which he is. Um, and to have absolutely no awareness, like we talk about the lack of awareness and like, he's not aware of um, his, his identity versus um, his character being different. And it's easy for the show to make a joke about that until you realize that the love interest in the movie is named, in the mover is named Ginger. And the actor is also named Ginger. They didn't even bother to give a different name to the actress versus the, at least, at least based on the scene I'm remembering, which is her saying Ginger is in love with blah, blah, blah. Ginger is not in love with Bolin. So like, it was like, wait, oh, so she distinguishes Bolin from his character, but not her from her character. Did they not even name her character? <sighs> uh, so yeah, it's just really, it's really, really frustrating. Uh, I expect better of the writers. I expect better of the characters. And um, I want my show back, please. <laughs> um, the ginger stuff is weird. And the kissing is bad. Like, I actively am upset with the kissing. Um, the The ginger ginger thing, though, doesn't super bother me just because it feels very driven out of, like, an American film history perspective. Um, she should have like a persona instead of just being ginger. Um, but yeah, I mean, mostly, mostly what I'm annoyed with is that they've figured out narrative filmmaking very quickly <laughs> when they just got, um, they just figured out movers initially. And now they're just like, yeah, no, we figured out, we figured out cross cutting. And it's just like, no, <laughs> that took like a while for everyone to kind of get on board with and to sort out actually. Um, so, um, and they have like angles and stuff. And it's just like, none of this is correct. And sound. And sound, right. None of, none of this, none of this is correct. But I understand why it's happening. None of this is correct. 
I mean, they have synchronized explosions. <laughs> okay. Yep. Sure. Um, the I feel really bad for Mako, which I, I hate saying because he's absolutely terrible in all of these episodes, but he's also literally the only person actually doing something, Mm -hmm. which is really, really frustrating and doing something relatively like in the way that you're supposed to do it. Um, Sure. Hiring the, hiring the triad to protect your boat is a stupid idea. Um, And Asami just giving away vehicles is not going to help your, company at all um but he's at least doing everything in the correct way just no one else is listening to him because he's a rookie damn it um and that that's that's makes his whole story i think really frustrating because he's doing everything right he's like following leads he's he's wanting to explain these leads to people but no one's listening to him like no one um the so it's just even like even telling Reich, the president Raiko about Cora going to Iroh, which he gets from Berlin, is technically the right thing to do because otherwise Cora is just sending an armed navy <laughs> on fake things. So it's just on a fake, like j- cooked up like concept. So it's just really weird to watch Mako do everything right and then be the one who's quote-unquote wrong because he's doing the right thing um marcus says i was expecting lynn would have some better understanding or plan and mako was being dumb and ruining it like hold on poe in the last jedi mm-hmm. yep nope that would have been too clever uh, also marcus points out they earthwashed the casting of the southern water tribe and i actually kind of love that because that feels absolutely right for varick yes no varick would absolutely do that and then we get all those funny shots of like obviously a bucket throwing water <laughs> yeah Allison, any thoughts on all this? How does how does Asami need to be on a boat for Varric's people to rob her factories? Are there no guards at her factory? Does she not sleep? Does she normally like patrol her factories by herself? And so she personally can't be Okay, so also she's got multiple factories and storage mm-hmm. facilities. But all of the things that she owns are only in one. So no manufacturing equipment. And then are all those buildings, are they just empty? How did he know which one had this stuff? And then... That was a big factory. Where are they? If they're all empty, shouldn't she... Like, she should sell those. Those are good assets. And then and then she would have more... I Like, adjust... Um... Um, hmm. It's breaking us. (laughs) I'm... Yeah, it really is. It really... It's... It's doing like a Lucifer season three style number on my psyche mm-hmm. um, without any dust in the wind, which is too bad because all we are is dust in the wind. <laughs> um, I just I wish that any one of them had something interesting that was happening to them instead of just a bunch of uninspired plot. And that's I think that's why I found in particular Bolin's storyline so frustrating because it's really in- the idea of of sort of realizing that this thing that's happened to you that seems really good for you that you enjoy doing um that seems fun and silly and lighthearted is really damaging and that you're being manipulated and that you are in turn helping to manipulate others that's great dramatic fodder i wish the show were even half as interested in it as i am yeah 
Um, and I think a lot of thinking ahead a little bit, like this show, the season just suffers from being poorly structured. Um, even though like the next two episodes are pretty solid. Um, but they're also completely, completely, <laughs> completely separate from everything else. Yeah. Um, it's, it's standalone everything except for we learn stuff that applies to our moon narrative. Yeah. It, it's a really good, beautiful, very, very beautiful studio mirror comes back for these two episodes. Um, episodes of a lot of like good information and really well done storytelling, I think. But it also just points to larger issues that this, this, these two episodes also get to is that the season structure just isn't very sound. Um, let's talk about something positive, which is Milo, Master Trainer. <laughs> That whole plot just kind of made me sad. It depressed me, too. It is very sad. But, like, it's great to to see him succeed at something. And then... Is it? And then then immediately, immediately get to just go back to just being a kid and having fun and not doing that anymore. But it's nice to know that he has that within him. (laughs) I mean... On the one hand, sure. And I'm very glad that you're finding a glass half full reading of that storyline. On the other hand, um, his joy is snatched from him. And then they they get to go off and play. But will that relationship ever be the same again? I don't think so. I don't think... I think knowing that that he could summon a horde of flying lemurs with the toot of a single whistle it just it's thrown off the equilibrium of the relationship and also is he still gonna sleep on the floor no no is he still no it, no are way you sure i'm very confident i don't know i just I feel, feel like really bad about tenzin it. felt really bad as he should have and also a little as scared. he should have yeah <laughs> tenzin tenzin was was misguided yeah. He was misguided there. And I get that, like, oh, well, Tenzin needs a project because he got fired by the Avatar. And we need something for Tenzin to do while we tread water. But poor Milo. How? I just, it seemed very traumatizing to me. I want to know how he trained all of those lemur in, in lemurs in, in what I assume is a day. Cause that's that. that oh yeah, it's, it's gotta, gotta be some be, kind of mind control. It's gotta be like a day, because like then I bending. can be on board with it. Because then he like did the training thing. There was one night on the floor, and then they've all learned that that was terrible, and they're never gonna do it again. Is what I'm taking away from it because I need something to hold on to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe he's an energy bender. I just feel like he's a he's Elmira, um, ah. just the Elmira of Air Temple Island. <laughs> oh. Do we have any other elements of these episodes we'd like to talk about? Uh, it was nice to see the twins back, however briefly. I do enjoy them. Yeah, it was it was it was nice to have them. I appreciate their whole, you know. Well, she's dead. Like, did you check for her body, though? No. These are two... They haven't seen movers yet. Yeah, they haven't seen movers yet. You have to check for that body to make sure that Unalak, as Ming the Merciless, has been been vanquished. Um, 
That sequence is okay. I think that the speedboat chase in The Sting is actually really well storyboarded. Um, it's pretty visually exciting, even if sometimes the animation is, again, still not up to snuff. But there's a lot of solid like kinetic movement in it that has been lacking um i think in a lot of the a lot of the action sequences so far this season so i enjoyed that um but that's kind of like the only good thing i have the only other thing um that i have that i think is worth mentioning is it's real weird how empty their apartment is. It's just so empty. There's nothing on that bookshelf. There's that one fire ferret banner on their wall and a sofa. It's just like, who lives here? Have you been renting it out as like an Airbnb while you were in the South Pole? Please say yes. (laughs) Well, they haven't had any money until now. Uh, But yeah, that, yes, I agree. Yeah. So, but I think it was mostly just, well, we don't have the money to draw everything into this for the frames. And as Marcus correctly points out, so that when we put the hot tub in here, we don't have to make it look like we've moved a bunch of stuff around. (laughs) That's true. Um, Allison, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, I agree that that boat chase was fun. Um, I feel like Mako... Um, might be kind of, might be kind of dumb. Um, because man, he sure did get double crossed really easily. (laughs) Um, I refuse to believe Asami is that dumb though. So weird. Um, and I, yeah, I got nothing else, man. These are, it's, it's not, they're not great episodes. Nope. Okay, so rather than belabor this, our next two, which hopefully I remember liking these ones. I remember yeah, them being I do good. Too. But it's been so long. Yeah. You know, I really thought we were going to get anything hijinky and fun. Like, you don't get to call your episode The Sting and have it be that. There, there, there was no sting. There's. Anyways, uh, fingers crossed that these are actually good. Um, but the episodes are called Beginnings Part 1 and Part 2. So, very helpful title there. <laughs> I mean, it actually is, but... <laughs> yeah. Do you want us to tell you? Yeah, you know what? I don't... Yes, give me something to look forward to. Okay, Marcus says, amnesia storyline. Yeah. Sigh. sigh. Exactly. Marcus typed out his sigh, <laughs> and I felt that typed out sigh in my body. That's... Yeah. Oh, great. Who's Avatar Korra? Yeah. Um, so both of these episodes, again, uh, Studio Mirror comes back for both of these. We have one more. Awesome. We have one more episode with uh, Studio Perot, and then they're done for the rest of the show. They don't come back. Mirror animates the rest of the show after episode 11, whatever it is. Um, so um, to help Korra regain her memories, the Fire Sages guide her basically all the way to the very beginning, the first Avatar. So this is the origin story of the first Avatar um, that takes place like something like 10,000 years ago or something like that. It's a really long time ago. Um, It's really beautifully animated. Um, I had done a fair bit of studying about Japanese art for my abandoned master's thesis. And there's a number of elements in it that really call to mind various types of Japanese artwork. Um, that I think are really, really beautiful. I had a commenter very angry with me 
for bringing that up because it's a Korean animation studio. And I just went, those two things don't have anything to do with each other. <laughs> um, but the episodes are very, very pretty. I don't remember like how well the narrative works, um, but it is all quite important for setting up the season's back half. Um, but hopefully it's good. It'll look really good, though, is the nice thing. Yeah, Marcus says the studio change is the best sell you could do. And yeah. yeah. Um, and just if you're ready for a break from all that, mm-hmm. uh, we get it with this episode. Yeah, it's it's basically just two episode flashback of this the first Avatar. No one else really figures into it. Cool. Okay. Any any thoughts? Uh, I'm into it. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Like I let's all I ask is that at some point someone sits down and sings Dust in the Wind. That does not happen. Um, specifically um, John Leguizamo. Yeah. <laughs> specifically John Leguizamo. That would be great. Um, yeah, no, I like I said, this season is not good and I'm I'm sorry that we're waiting into it. I feel like seasons three and four are better. I hope. Oh, I mean, I'm invested. I know. Like, I care about all of my, what, what our pal Keenan likes to call her precious, her own precious children. Um, I care about them all a lot, which is why I'm so disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Not, but I'm, I'm, I'm I'm in it for the long haul. I actually am upset and disappointed. I'm (laughs) So anyways, that's where we're going to call it. We're going to keep it short because there's no point to belabor that. Hopefully we'll have more to say tomorrow. So thank you to Marcus for powering through with us in the Zoom and sharing your thoughts and your and your uh, typed out size because we are with you. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.